You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to The Elevator's Cut. We're glad you're listening today. I'm Jason Wheeler. And I'm Roger Gaddis. In today's episode, we're going to talk all about who sets the basis, who does that. And joining us today is Phil Luce. We're glad to have you today. Phil has been with White Commercial for quite a while, and he writes in the Grain Journal. So you might have seen his face there and recognize him while listening to this to this podcast all right but we're we're uh we're always glad to have guests we appreciate you coming on today phil glad to be here long time listener first time caller thanks for flying all this way to be here today phil it's an honor and two l's one in the first name one in the last name oh snap that one in the first name is the one that caused me all the trouble for some reason. My mom and dad named me after Philip in the Bible. Now all the other heathen Philips out there have taken over the world, and everybody spells it with two L's, and I hate it. Nice. Hey, man's got to have his cause, right? That's right. <laughs> Mine is justice for the single L Phillips out there. All right, so as always on these podcasts, we like to delve into the zeitgeists, and today's zeitgeist, the zeitgeist of the day, as Phil likes to say, is... Changed my mind. The basis everywhere is set by ADM. And go. <laughs> that is a, that's one heck of a zeitgeist. Well, that's why we're delving. I think, um, no, seriously though, it's, it's who sets the basis. You know, we did a Twitter poll, uh, the first one uh, for the elevators cut handle on Twitter and overwhelmingly, um, and you know, if you, I thought it was going to be close. We had three choices. It was four or five panel caps uh, to discuss uh, care of brass probes, or who sets the basis. And somehow, who sets the basis come up with like seventy percent of the return. So uh, we told the people we'd do what they want, despite what we really wanted to talk about. So this is where we're at today. Who sets the basis? Because everyone wants to know that question. So that's why we brought Phil in. He is the consummate expert on basis. Yeah, so people think that it's some secret society or or the big companies or the local elevators or whoever in the market gets together and formulates this plan of, of what their basis is going to be each day and and how they're how much they're going to change it. And I, I think it's a lot of misinformation, but. That's why we had we had Phil. We want we want Phil to explain this to us so we can be smarter about this. Well, I, I am a self-described basis nerd, as was pointed out recently by a friend of mine on the Twitters. <laughs> I wanted to be offended by it, but it's the literal, actual truth. I'm, I describe myself that way. I think the <clears throat> depending on who you ask, who sets the basis, you're you're going to get. All kinds of answers, some very short, some pretty long, and all of them are just completely incorrect. 
there it is, ladies and gentlemen. But we're asking you. Yours is going to be right, right? Yeah. And of course, okay, I'm kidding. Good. Actually, they're, they're probably all right in their own way. Uh, but I, I think the simplest way to look at most things is the best way. And the simplest way to look at who sets the basis is uh, does the person that's does the person in your area love farmers or hate them? I think that's the, the bottom line answer. So, for example. <laughs> wow. It's what I've always thought. For, for example, I knew it. in Georgia, oftentimes the basis is over the futures, especially for corn and soybeans. So, clearly, who's ever setting the basis there loves farmers. Southern and hospitality. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Typical. That's Makes right. sense. Yeah. You get to some place like one of the Dakotas or Minnesota, any state that ends in Oda, basically, you know, and whoever sets the basis there hates farmers because the basis is oftentimes very, very cheap, very low, as I like to say. That's another little interesting side note about the basis in the upper Midwest. They, t the lower the basis gets, the more they call it higher. So your basis is really high. It's like a dollar under. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's just a little regional thing for you. Of course, that's, uh, that's not accurate. It's not about who loves or hates farmers, but I think probably uh, one simple way to think about the basis is temporarily take the basis out of it altogether and just look at prices and say to yourself, should the price for a given commodity be identical in every area of a continent? So, for example, if you're in a place that has millions of animals that eat corn, and also you have one cornfield in your county and it yields 15 bushels an acre, should the price for corn in that place be as much, be the same as the price for corn in a place that has 11 billion cornfields that all yield 300 bushels an acre and they've never heard of cows there? 11 billion, you lost me there. It's, I love that number. It's advanced mathematics. Uh, I, yeah. Well, I'm trying to change minds here. As Jason always says, we got the Arkansas thing going on. So if it gets, if we have to count above 21, we're lost. So do we, do we have to say where we got lost? Cause I'm still trying to think of all the states that end with Oda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've only gotten okay, one. I'll give you a hint. There are six. Really? Wow. Mendota is a city. <laughs> I got there. I got a state. Toyota a city is so a far. car. <laughs> We got it. <laughs> We're drilling down. Okay. That's, that's correct. Uh, I, I don't mean to pick on farmers. I think the reason I use that example is because this conversation comes up quite a bit between farmers on Twitter. And so, for example, somebody will say, I just sold new crop corn for 20 over. And, and someone from a different place will chime in and say, boy, I wish we had bases like that around here. Our basis is 60 under. Never gets above 20 under. You know, and so I... The, the hate and love farmers thing is is just based on that kind of interaction. Of course, basis is not limited to farmers. Basis is really just a phenomenon in the world that everybody can enjoy <laughs> or yeah. hate. Or I'll we'll sell you a book. You can enjoy it more. <laughs> I guess you're free, free to have whatever sort of relationship with the concept of basis that you want. But uh, I think the question that you started the podcast with is is based on this idea that maybe there's somebody manipulating basis in a given market to their own ends. And ultimately, I'm going to give away the end here at the beginning. Ultimately, the market is transparent and efficient enough that nobody gets to manipulate the basis. But what about those people that sit together at grain conferences and have some scotches and evil laughs and work at terminal elevators? And monocles? Are they involved too? Yeah, Roger. top hats, okay. ascots, all that. <laughs> well, you can't trust anyone who wears an ascot. I think we can mm, agreed. get together on that.
Should we talk about the definition? We've said a lot about basis. We haven't talked about the definition of it yet. The definition of basis is how a cash price at a given location relates to a futures price for the same commodity. And that being the case, really anything with a futures market can have a basis. We're in the grain business. We talk about grain, but interest rates can have a basis and metals can have a basis and and uh, petroleum products. Anything that has a, a centralized futures market that, that spits out uh, a broad big picture value can be compared to the cash price of that same commodity in a given location. And the difference between those two things is the basis. Or anything that's even benchmarked to that. Milo comes to mind. You know, it doesn't have its own futures contract, but it's benchmarked to corn and therefore has a basis. And, you know, the guys in the Pacific Northwest do the same thing with some of the white wheat. They benchmark it off Chicago soft red. As long as everybody in the chain agrees to the benchmark, then that price is function of the basis on top or below that. So is that where they're colluding? They're agreeing to the benchmark? And Probably. elephant in the room here, but of, so what you're telling me is if there wasn't a futures market, we wouldn't have to worry about basis and it corn would be the same in Oklahoma as it is in, in Illinois. Probably not. Oh no. Okay. Probably not. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I think the futures market, uh, in addition to creating my income serves a lot of purpose in our industry. Uh, but I think it, it came about at a time when communication was more complicated than it is now and price discovery was harder because you had pretty insulated areas that couldn't easily communicate with other areas. And so they came up with a centralized place. Let's have everyone with an opinion or an interest in this commodity come to one central place and set an overall benchmark value. And then we can, we can compare cash prices did and have some place where we can go to get everyone's opinion. And now, you don't have that problem. You know, if, if, if you need corn in Georgia and there's corn in Illinois, you can figure out who's got it, how much of it they have, how much it costs to get it to where you are. And so uh, I'm not advocating for the dissolution of futures markets. Sure. Well, then we'd have to go find other jobs. Sure. Or so. maybe full-time podcasting. Randy says we're pretty good at it and he knows a thing or two about podcasting. I'm only a, a one-time podcast guest, so I'm going to go ahead and Say we should keep the futures. We'll have long coattails for you to hang on there. Appreciate that. But I think let's take it away for a minute. All right. So you guys are from Arkansas and I'm from Ohio. And uh, it's it's interesting how everybody anywhere thinks that they're in a deficit market. That's something I've noticed (laughs) in the grain business. There are, I don't think there's ever been any place I've been to that the people in it, farmers or elevator people or feed mill managers or whoever has not described it as real competitive. This market is just really competitive around here. That's probably true for a given value of competitive, right? Well, people want to eat food. People <laughs> are right. always trying to trying to like eat food That's and true. stuff. So and, it's and put competitive. it put it put raw commodities in bins, and they're trying to. Everybody likes to compete about something. Whether they should be is a different. That's probably a question for a different podcast. <laughs> should we be? Engage in bidding wars for grain to pile on the ground. That's a different podcast. But you guys Rand, are from Randy, Arkansas. Randy, write that one down. Thanks, Randy. He's on it. He's over in the box. He's, he, so you guys are from Arkansas. I'm from Ohio originally. I think we would agree Ohio grows more of certain commodities than Arkansas does. I think it would be this would be a better thing if I was from Minnesota or Illinois or Nebraska, but it's too late now. I've already confessed. Can't change where you were born. That's right. So if Arkansas needs a commodity that a lot of is grown in Ohio, 
there's a good chance that the price of that commodity in Arkansas will be higher than the price of that same commodity in Ohio, where it's all sitting around waiting to be used up. And ultimately, that's all the basis is. In the big picture, we can drill down on this some, but in the big picture, if you're far away from the thing that you need, that thing's going to have a higher value where you are than where there's a lot of it. And some of that, of course, will come down to transportation costs, but some of it will come down to we're using the corn in Ohio or whatever it is. We're using that product in Ohio also. And so you have to pay enough to not only cover the freight, but take it away from all the people between Ohio and Arkansas that also might want to use it. Oversimplified, but oversimplification is the best way to look at everything all the time. Mm. Simply put, put that in your quote box. That's pretty good. Beam it to space. Speaking of quote boxes, I did want to say earlier, and I forgot that I'm really impressed with the caliber of sponsors you guys have been able to get. I mean, quotes in a box from space. I, I spent a lot of my early career in the grain business messing around with satellite dishes that were collecting those exact quotes from space. And I have a, nothing but respect for quotes in a box from space. That's an amazing sponsor. I'm glad you guys could get them. No, well, we're uh, waiting for them to re-up the contract, but uh, Randy assures us that it's in the works. And I'm going to try hard not to mention quotes from the internet because I know that's a competing product. We thank you for not mentioning it. That was great. Yep. You're really helping us out here. That's, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad the, to help. You know, and, and I would say to add to that, um, and I, I'm, I could be completely wrong here, but a lot of times when you see people say um, the definition of basis, and they'll say it's a function of local supply and demand. I don't know that that's, all correct i think it's more it's a definitely a function of local demand or demand in a spot and to a degree a function of available supply if there's a bunch of grain sitting around and a bunch of demand for this grain but the grain can't move because it's unpriced it's storage whatever basis is going to go up even though there's a ton of local supply i think that's a phenomenal point and and really important to make is I'm tempted to say that the basis is set in any market by whoever wants the product the most. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also any market is, is the coming together of owners of things and, and users of things. And so the owners of the product have, have a role to play, right? And to your point, if there's a whole bunch of stuff, but it will not come to market, that has some impact on the basis sure, or on the price. Again, if we all, I, I think one big misconception about basis is that it's, um, that it's its own separate entity. I guess in some ways it is. It, it's a thing people trade on their own, but you could say all these same things about the price of grain. You could say all these things about any market. Ultimately, the price of anything in any free market is based on the interactions between who has it and who needs it, right? And so it's not just all I will pay you for your product is X value, right? I mean, the owner of the product has some some negotiating power too, because they have the thing that you need. So uh, at any given time in any market, the value of the product is exactly what the owners and the needers of it have negotiated all the time. You know, well, that's just it. You know, if, if somebody says I'm paying 20 under for corn today and they need a hundred thousand bushels a day to keep their processor processing or their exporter exporting or whatever you case may be and they're only getting 40,000 bushels well I'm gonna 
crank this lever up here and we're going to go up to 10 under or 15 under or whatever it is. We're going to raise our basis until we get, you know, like you said, the owners of the things will engage with us and, uh, and do it. So, so really who sets the basis? I mean, you could say, if you're listening to this, you are, if you eat food, if you burn ethanol in your tank or whatever it is, uh, you, you play some role. It's, it's the market at large. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying every market participant is involved in. in so you're saying there is collusion yes. by everybody. There we <laughs> yes. go. That's right. Every person that's involved in the, is colluding in, in the manufacturing ownership, transportation and usage of the product is colluding to come up with a value. There we go. I so it was rigged the whole time. Yep. <laughs> we thought we could disprove it, but we can't is what you're telling me. That's right. I think we can disprove the ADM part, although they certainly are involved being one of the aforementioned participants. <laughs> one of the many. <laughs> it's that time in the show where we'd like to thank our sponsor. Today's sponsor is a three cent rally in the bean market. Thank you. Three cent rally in the bean market for giving me a little bit of pep on this Monday. Thank you. Three cent rally in the bean market and your cohort, a three cent drop in the basis. Three cent rally in the bean market because those target orders won't cancel themselves. Three cent rally in the bean market, making you feel good about having your beans on that storage. It only costs five cents a month. Three cent rally in the bean market. Just 47 more of those and I'll sell. Three cent rally in the bean market. How else can I justify an 800 word email to you? Three cent rally in the bean market. Is that a dead cat or are you just happy to see me? Well done. Yeah. You know you gotta redo it And we're back talking about who sets the basis. So we left off earlier with uh, kind of a terminology discussion of what basis is and how it functions. But, you know, every market's kind of got its own unique take on basis as far as its movement. Like Phil said earlier, you know, the the ODAs are going to do something a little different than the the high deficit areas of the southeast. And, And in degrees, sometimes you see this changes from county to county in places. It doesn't have to be across the continent um, or across, you know, borders. If you look at Ontario, New York markets for corn or what have you, I mean, there's there's huge variations for sure across big spans of geography, but sometimes even across the street, literally, some places can have big variations. It's because when used properly, basis is a market signal. When it, when it all boils down to it, it's a market signal to get grain to move. Do you agree with that? I concur. Or to stop moving in certain cases. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. I think the the my least favorite definition of basis is one that involves all of the factors that make up what the basis ends up being. For example, you could say to someone, what is the basis? And they'll say, well, it's a it's it has to do with freight, has to do with usage, it has to do with interest rates, it has to do with cross border tariffs. You know, it, they they say all the things that make it up. But I think that's the whole, the whole point of basis is all that stuff's in it. So you don't really have to break it down into its components. All its components have come together and created what the basis is. And so once it's there, I think you nailed it. Once the basis exists and it exists because of what we talked about before the break with all the interplay between the various participants in the market, 
once once we've established what it is and all everything that needs to be baked in is in there, now it's just a signal. Now it just says we're getting all we need and more, so the basis will drop. When that happens, we're not getting enough, the basis will rise. And that's happening on a macro level. It's happening between continents. It's happening between high high production areas and deficit areas. But like you said, it's also happening in a town. <laughs> you know, if, if the grain is on the farm and it needs to be at the feed mill, then th- that interplay is happening there to move the grain from the farm to the feed mill or from the elevator bin to the barge or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. So it, it's being set minute by minute by by real-time negotiations and and sometimes not so much negotiations as physical need. So for example, at harvest time, if it's an abundant crop and the bin space isn't enough to contain it, then the grain is desperately trying to find a home. And it has nothing to do with nego- the negotiation there is, will you please take this product that I have too much of? And so that tends to make basis lower at harvest time. On the other hand, if it's harvest time and there's a lot of bins and maybe the crop is short and those bins are desperately trying to get commodity into them, then all of a sudden that negotiation is, I'm going to bid more than my neighbor so that the, the grain will come to me. And so it's just a real-time reflection of the end of a, of a series of negotiations, right? People talk about it's a gas pedal and, and it is that, it is a market signal, it's all those things. But every time you see a basis, it's, it's the end result of a whole bunch of interactions between owners and users of grain. And and user, I say user, it could be anything. It could be a barge. It can be a feed mill. It can be a ethanol plant. It could be a a wheat mill. You know, user just means who's going to take the raw product and move it to the next step, whatever that next step is either processing or transportation most of the time. Help me understand this. I'm a farmer, right? And there's an elevator three miles from me and an elevator four and a half miles from me. And they're not very far apart either. Right, we're all close together. About a mile and a half, I'd say. <laughs> Maybe. Don't know which direction. It could be seven and a half. It's but anyway, three kilometers. Guys, so. mm. Or maybe more. Metrics. Than three kilometers. <laughs> we, we had to switch to the metric system because the government shut down. So anyways, <laughs> we're back though, and that's good. I'm a farmer. Now, this one elevator, neither one of them are users. Right? They're just grain elevators, and they're close. And one of them is bidding 12 cents more than the other elevator. So, one, wh- why? Why is it? Who sets this basis? Uh, do I go to the one paying less and get mad at him and tell him he should be paying more? Is, is one, this is a multi-part question if you can't tell. So, and then, then the other thing, of course, is um, which one do I go to I obviously go to the one with the hire to put it on storage, right? Is that that's what I do at that point? I'm gonna um, I'm gonna possibly be offensive to some portion of the listening audience here, but uh, as a side note to your question, I'm gonna answer your question. I'm gonna say this first: If you're a farmer and your concern is that one elevator's basis is higher than another's, all you really mean is the cash price is twelve cents different that day. And I will say just as a matter of principle, I don't want to hide anything from anyone, but if almost all of your revenue and profit potential comes from price, an over-focus on basis is not a good idea. So that's a side note. But what you're really asking me is why would the bid be 12 cents apart from elevators that are a mile and a half apart? And there are a few reasons that it may be. 
the elevator with the higher bid may have put on a sale before they bought any bushels. And so now they're under some pressure to source bushels for that sale. And so they have to pay maybe more than they want to, maybe not. Maybe the sale supports that kind of basis. But if, if they have a time crunch, they need X number of bushels to go to X spot and they've already obligated themselves, then the calendar is is dictating what they have to pay. And just like Roger said, it's a market signal. The market signal is I have to have these things delivered in three weeks and I don't have any of the bushels yet. I've got to just keep inching that basis up till I get them. And that could be good or bad for that elevator, right? They, they may have made a sale at a much higher basis and it's fine. They may be losing money either way. They don't really have any choice. Uh, should you go to the one that's bidding less and get mad? Um, I, I guess that's an individual decision. Well, if it's the one I'd rather deliver to yeah. that I normally do business with, then I would, right? <laughs> Here, here's what I would say uh, to farmers as someone who for twenty, almost 24 years now has, has worked with grain elevators. There is not a grain elevator that I know of that doesn't worry about what you think about what they're paying. There. Most of them are doing a simple formula that works just like this. This goes back to our original question, who sets the basis? They go and get the best resale bid they can get from some place that they're going to go to eventually. They back off freight to that place, and they may or may not, depending on whether the market will allow it, put a little bit of a margin after freight. A lot of In my time in the business, that margin after freight has come way, way down, and sometimes it's zero or even a little bit negative on the hopes that they can turn it into something later. Uh, you would be very hard pressed to find an elevator that is not worried about the guy down the road who's paying 12 cents more, but they, for whatever reason, the elevator that's paying less doesn't have the need or the, or the ability to pay that. And I get a lot of questions from grain elevator people along these lines, which something like this, Hey, my neighbor a mile and a half away has been 12 cents more than me. I can't find a bid anywhere that makes that work. Why are they doing that? And I give them the same answer I just gave you. Sometimes they've done they've done something already that you didn't do that puts them in a good spot. A lot of times, we'll go down that road. Was there ever a sale you could have made that would that would put you in a spot where you could pay more? And they say, "Well, I never found one." A lot of times, there's no good reason that we can come up with from a business standpoint. They they may be trying to be the target in a region. Whatever that means. <laughs> whatever, that was a Twitter. <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, I'd rather be the Walmart, but hey, they, they may be under some, <laughs> they may be under some pressure to fill bins. You know, depending on the time of year, uh, there's um, and I'm going to offend the other half of our listening audience possibly, but there, there's a little bit of a, I'll stop short of sickness, but <laughs> there's a little bit of what appears from the outside to be an irrational pull to fill bin space, and so mm-hmm. at certain times of year, you you get a little panicky as someone with empty bin space and say, I need to fill this stuff up no matter what. So let me just keep, sure. let me just keep raising a bid until, until the bins are full, whether that makes me any money or not. And so a lot of times when I go down the road, this exact road with one of my customers about how come I can't pay as much as this guy and make it work. There's really no good reason. And can you say to farmers then just forget about the 12 cents and come here? Probably not. You know, that's, that's real life in this business. And that's what, that's by the way, why you don't really get to set the basis ultimately. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, the not, no, no, no. In every way, the basis is set by who's ever willing to pay the most for it. And so that person paying 12 cents, if they do it long enough, will cause mm-hmm. the person who's not paying yeah. the 12 cents to pay it. 
they, they may not want to, they may not make any money. Maybe nobody makes any money paying that number, but that, that's a, that's a real pressure. And that's how the basis gets set by that exact process. I think the best piece of advice you could give to a customer that calls about, you know, the guy two miles down the road paying 12 and a half cents more is if your freight's less than that, you'd probably sell them some, <laughs> you know, cause it's a signal. It's a signal you're needing grain. And, um, unfortunately my experience has been, um, a lot of times these competitors that are paying up like that, it's just, they don't, they're not, maybe they've got other parts of their business they're attending to. Maybe they do inputs and other stuff. And that bid just stuck there from a few days ago and no one's updated it. That happens a lot. And and I think you guys would both agree with me that there's a lot more margin potential loss on the buy side of grain than on the selling side of grain for the merchandiser, for the country elevator. Yes. And an intense amount of pressure. That's, sure. That's, I think, a big misconception in the industry is that the elevator kind of has a fat cat mentality. Let me buy the stuff as cheap as I can. Now, to be frank, buying stuff as cheap as you can is part of a free market. But sure. but the as cheap as you can part is very difficult because because – I'm trying to remember the last time. I don't think, I'm not sure there's ever been a time where I talked to an elevator buyer, manager, owner, whatever, who said, I'm, this basis is so cheap. You know, I'm just, I'm just real comfortable. I'm real happy with how cheap everything is. It's always, why are my neighbors paying up so much? I'm I'm paying a number. I kind of wish I wasn't. We're already, you know, here recently, it's been new crop 2019. We're already bidding more for new crop 2019 than it seems like we ought to be especially right now with soybeans, with the big carryover that we're expecting and people are, why, why are we 20 under in Indiana for new crop soybeans? You know, we ought to be 60 under. Well, that's the long and the short of it. Even in places where you hate the basis, you know, if, if you're kind of the outside looking in and say, why is our basis so cheap here? The people who are buying it are paying more than they are comfortable with almost all the time. That's the real story. That's another interesting phenomenon that happens from the elevator side is like you say, for, for new crop and new crop is eight, nine, 10 months away. They're bidding more than we should. And, and you, you confront them about, well, why are we paying? Well, competition, right? We have to, we have to stay in line with competition and we're not buying anything anyways, right? That's the thing, right? Prices are terrible. Nobody's selling new crop. So it doesn't matter what our basis is. So when they look, may as well have have a good thing to look at because they're not going to sell it anyways. And when they do sell it, they know, hey, this guy's always in the market. He's always got a good good basis number. I'm going to call him. And there's there's a lot of truth yeah. behind that. Uh, yeah, you don't want to be the lowest bid in a market when nobody's buying anything because the, the fear, and, and probably rationally so, the fear is well, if Roger's 20 cents less than Jason, then – and nobody's selling anything anyway. Clearly, Roger's not in the market. So just I'm not going to check that website anymore. I'm just going to yeah. look Be- at Because Jason. ahead of harvest, the more time ahead of harvest, the more price-centric it is. The closer you get to harvest, the more logistics-centric it gets. Yeah. On a spectrum, in, in general, you know, guys are more, yeah, I'll sell that guy 15 miles away more if he's paying paying a nickel more. Well, you get to harvest, and now he's got to drive through town and all this other junk, and then comes gives you grief for being lower even though you can get back to the field quicker. And so there's a bunch of things that, you know, that, that play off of one another in this, in these scenarios for sure. There's, um, we probably should have talked about this at the beginning, but going back to the name of this podcast, you know, there's, there's this idea that the lower the basis is, the more, the more money an elevator will make. And the, the simple truth of it is if your basis, if your elevator basis in a local area is a dollar under, and they make a 10 cent margin in that area, then the best they can sell is 90 under. 
And when they're paying 40 under, it means the best they can sell is 30 under. And that's the market won't let them pad the bid. You know, I, I remember going back and doing a meeting with farmers in Northwest Iowa, probably in the late nineties or very early two thousands. And at that point, the new crop soybean basis was 50 under. And I had a farmer walk up to me kind of in the corner after the meeting and he, and he was very sincere and I, well-meaning wasn't attacking anyone. He just said, do these guys really need to make 50 cents? That was the, I mean, it seems like they could make this place work for less than 50 cents. And, and his clear concept of it was 50 under means they're, they're selling the futures price and they're making a 50 cent margin somehow. And we talked a little, I mean, kind of tongue in cheek. I said, well, you know, they'd have to call haul it to Chicago to get that. It probably cost 48 cents to get to Chicago from Rock Rapids, Iowa or wherever. And I don't think there's as much of that going on anymore. I didn't think so. <laughs> the until, Twitter has proved us wrong. <laughs> until last year when uh, when uh, Kansas newspaper of all places put out a comment that the basis is the elevators cut. Mm. And uh, we're advocates. I mean, I, I think we're advocates for everybody in agriculture, sure. but clearly. I think sure. Well, if the negative basis is the elevators cut, then the positive basis is the farmers cut. So it all balances out, right? To how that works? Jason knows. You don't hear nearly as many complaints about that. Yeah, well, we all know from college that convergence will happen, and that's that's who gets the money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Correct. Perfect. Somebody. No, uh, you, you have arguments about that, but eventually you just give in and, and uh, quit arguing about it and raise your bid. Right, Phil? Just raise your bid. That is what happens most of the time. No, unfortunately, I, I would like to – just a quick aside here – is here's what happened. We got two competing elevators, and you know, talking to to the elevator folks listening here. Here's what we do: we say, you know what, El, this my competitor over here has this large farmer that takes all this stuff. That I'd like to get some of those bushels. Big guy, get those bushels. That would help me a lot. And what I what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise my bid. We're the same. I'm going to raise my bid a nickel and get some of this guy's bushels. What does this guy do? The guy goes to his elevator that he likes going to and says, hey, raise your bid. This guy's outbidding you by a nickel. And then that that elevator says, well, I don't want to lose his customers. Big guy. Okay, for you. Yes, I'll raise a nickel. So what happened here? What's the moral of the story? So elevator A and elevator B both got the same bushels they were going to get anyways. Just more but expensively. They, but they they just sacrificed a nickel of their margin. Right. And I say a nickel to be generous. Sometimes this happens in, sure. in, in larger amounts, but anyways, that's a thing that happens. And, uh, for sure. A free market goes to zero margin. That's how right. it works. That's how I'm understanding it. And, and I've seen it happen in my time. And I think if, if, uh, a few things have contributed to it. Farmers buying semis has helped contribute to it because it's easier for them to get to the place that's, you know, 10 miles is not a big deal anymore, or even 20 miles in some cases. Uh, transparency of information, you know, you don't have to call somebody to get a bid anymore. That stuff's out there. And I've seen back-to-back margins. So that's the bid. The, after the elevator gets their resale bid and backs freight off, how much can they put in the bid? I've seen it go from probably an average of 10 or 12 cents a bushel, you know, 23 years ago to to – an average maybe of two or three cents a bushel now. They're just Depending not, there's just, at. yeah, I mean, clearly it's a range. Sure. It's, it's always been a range, but the fact is back-to-back margins are progressing. Yeah. And that that's just how an efficient market works. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do, mm-hmm. if you're producing something, you produce to zero margin. If you're buying a product and reselling it in this kind of market that is transparent and, and easily arbitrable. Sure. Arbit- oh, boy, arbitrable. A, said that expertly. Yeah. 
that, that the margins go closer and closer to zero all the time. And you're, you're depending on service and basis trading skills to make your money. And there's just no room for ripping anybody off, which doesn't happen. Well, Randy's over here faunching to get this thing wrapped up. So last thought, and this is the, the thing everyone's been thinking about, I'm pretty sure. Phil, what is the plural of basis? It's probably basis Basis You've heard it, ladies and gentlemen. We've settled this manner. Basis? No. Basis. Base I is what I was going to go. It's not base I. And to answer the question, who sets the basis? I think we we delved far enough to to find it, right? The market sets the basis. Yeah. There you go. All the time. All of us. Everybody listening, you and your preferences and your supplies and your if demands. You, if you buy, sell, or use grain, you set the basis. So we appreciate you out there in podcast land. And we appreciate you, Mr. Phil Luce, for joining us today. It's and my privilege. Hopefully we can have another one of these with you on here as a guest because this is going to be the best podcast we've ever done. It's, I was going to say it can only go up from here. <laughs> we've set the bar high. You know, we usually try to keep the bar low enough we don't trip over, but now I think we're going to close on ourselves on it. So anyway, that being said, thank you for joining us for the Elevators Cut. Rate, review us on iTunes if that's what you're using. And uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. On Twitter, you can you can reach out to us. Tell us how we did, um, what what you'd like to hear in the future. And of course, we did not say earlier, but at Phil WCC is how you can uh, send all your complaints for this episode if you have them. So for Roger, I'm Jason, and for Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to the Elevators Cut. Out.